Welcome to the PayFit Podcast. We believe that building a safe and inclusive environment where everyone is celebrated and listened to, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, disability or other characteristic, is fundamental for teams to thrive. This podcast series includes discussions with both internal and external guests, where we listen to their inspiring stories as they shed light on initiatives that contribute to positive change. Enjoy! Welcome to our new episode. I'm Chelsea, the Diversity, Inclusion, and Culture Manager at PayFit. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with Leah Stavenhagen, author, fundraiser, and activist who was diagnosed three years ago with ALS when she was 27. Leah is our first external guest in this series, and we are very honored to have her as a guest today. You may have heard her on France Inter or seen her in Paris Match just last month. Hi, Chelsea. It's such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having me. After recently publishing your book, your activism, and all of your personal experience, you have so much to share with us regarding raising awareness around disability, which is also one of our priority diversity and inclusion topics at PayFit, on which we are just getting started. It's so great to have you here. To start, for those of you who aren't aware, Leah, could you tell us a little bit more about ALS? Definitely. So ALS is a neurodegenerative disease. So it's in the same family as diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or even MS. And it actually has a few different names. So in the U.S., we often refer to it as ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. In the UK, it's considered motor neuron disease or MND. And for French listeners, in France, it's often called maladie de Charcot or SLA. Thanks, Leah. Maybe to, to give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what exactly is ALS? Yeah, definitely. So as I said, it's neurodegenerative and it's progressive. This means that it can start in different parts of the body. For example, for me, it started in my feet with drop foot, but there are other patients where it might start with their speech, and that's called bulbar onset, so with the muscles that are linked to the brain. Um, And progression can be very different for different patients. It can move kind of up the body, down the body. It's really a very heterogeneous disease. So it's impossible to anticipate the progression. Unfortunately, the outcome is the same for all patients. And there's a life expectancy of about two to five years from initial disease or symptom onset. And a patient will eventually lose the ability to walk, to talk, to swallow, and even to breathe. So it's um, a very debilitating disease. Thank, thank you so much for, for sharing with us because it, it's so personal and I, I personally am really inspired by you because I feel like um, you are dedicating a lot of time, like even coming onto this podcast, uh, to raise awareness around ALS, but also disability more generally. And I think what, what you mentioned, um, what you describe about, for example, ALS being uh, different in terms of the way, the way it starts, the initial symptoms, we can also make a, a parallel with disability more generally, uh, because I think there, there are a lot of 
um, kind of uh, misconceptions around disability. For example, 80% of disability is invisible and it's so individual, like you say, but even within um, the one, uh, one specific diagnosis, there can be a lot of differences from one patient to another. So I just want to once again, thank you so much uh, for, for being here today to, to raise awareness. Um, and help us all learn learn more about the topic. Um, maybe one to follow up on the next question. Um, it, am I right in thinking that ALS is more common than people think? Yeah, definitely. So there actually are figures that came out from a doctor at King's College that say that there's a lifetime risk of about one in 300. So that's a lot of people, for especially for a disease that's considered rare. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that it might be considered rare, even though it really isn't that rare, is that this life expect the life expectancy is quite short. And on top of that, as I said earlier, it's quite debilitating. So like, I feel very fortunate as an ALS patient to still be able to have my voice and express myself freely. But I can imagine that if I wasn't able to do that, it might be harder to get out there and advocate and be somebody to get, get involved in different communities to talk about my experience. So I think as well that in comparison to other diseases, it might be more common for ALS patients to be a little bit more sheltered just because it is a disease that takes so much energy for the patient and then of course for their friends and family as well. Yeah, it it's, seems like an extremely complicated and difficult situation and you must be such an extremely strong person, I think as well, um, to be to be so active and and to be sharing so much. So that's that's a true testament to who you are as a person. Um, since you've been diagnosed, you've done so much incredible work. You're a published author. You've raised so much awareness, um, in particular surrounding women suffering from ALS. Um, why do you think the disease is most commonly associated with men? Well, I think, um, well, I have to say thank you for all of your very kind words. But I just want to back up and say that some of it, you know, I've got, it's very, I feel fortunate to have found like, you know, kind of such purpose through all this. Obviously, I wouldn't wish this disease on anybody at all. And I hate that it's my reality, but it is cool to have such a distinct purpose now. Um, and so it is, you know, cool and almost selfish of me that, I've, that I spend so much time advocating because it's a way that, yeah, that I can really make the most of my days. But to get back to the question, I really think that that like, for example, from my experience, when I went home from the doctor's office and searched for ALS online, you know, I saw pictures of Stephen Hawking in the U.S. in general. And Stephen Hawking's the most well-known person who's had this disease. And for example, in the U.S. today, it's actually called Lou Gehrig's disease as well as ALS. And today, June 2nd, the day we're recording, is actually Lou Gehrig Day in the United States. And so that's incredible because it's a great way to bring awareness to this disease in general. But again, that's, that means that a lot of people are going to automatically associate the disease with a male figure, which isn't necessarily bad, but when there are any female figures out there kind of counterbalancing that, it might mean that, yeah, that even though it's a disease that could touch really anybody at any age, at any time in their life, there's this kind of predisposition to assume that it's older, often white males. And that's just not the case. And I think it's also important to ensure that that means that like researchers, for example, 
are always including a very diverse population when they're considering potential treatments or just ways to help patients on a daily basis because though I have the same disease as somebody who is a grandfather potentially, what I need from my neurologist is going to be a lot different. Thank you so much for sharing that very interesting point. And here you are today on our podcast to raise awareness about disability. But in addition, you're raising awareness uh, about gender equality. So thank you so much. (laughs) That's really, really amazing. Um, Because like you said uh, about the research, it's so important. There are so many There can be so much unconscious bias um, that integrates into kind of our daily life. And it's really important, like you said, to to draw attention to the fact that uh, whether it be medical or even in the workplace, if there are environments that are kind of put in place for one specific type of person, whether that be a man or a white person or an um, a person who doesn't have isn't living with a disability it's so important to constantly think about are we being inclusive are we being inclusive how can we be more inclusive um so super interesting thank you um maybe taking taking a step back um uh regarding uh, when you were initially diagnosed you were working as a consultant in paris um and i'm wondering do you think that others' perceptions of you changed since you acquired a disability? And is it something that you noticed initially in the workplace? I think that's interesting because for you mentioned earlier that 80% of disabilities are invisible, which is, which is a huge number. Um, and in the beginning, I actually kind of felt like that because even though I did have a physical disability, for me, it was my feet were dragging when I walked. And so I couldn't really go upstairs very well and I would trip and fall. Uh, when people looked at me, they just saw like a young active woman and they'd be like, well, you know, why are you sitting in that handicapped spot on the bus? You know, or why why are you walking so slowly on the sidewalk? They couldn't understand that, that, I, that something might be wrong with me. And so that was actually kind of similar to my experience at work is that even though I did quite early on go into the HR department, say, hey, I'm having these issues. So I think it'll be difficult for me to travel too much for work. And this and that, my colleagues would kind of, they, they would, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I would need to take the elevator, not the stairs, but they would forget. And sometimes that would add a tiny bit of stress to my day because it meant that I had to, you know, remind them that I have these problems. And so I couldn't feel as normal as maybe I would have wanted to. But at the same time, I loved the level of normalcy that that continued to give me in my daily life because... I didn't want to be different you know I just wanted to blend in and go about my job and go about my day like nothing was wrong and so I think yeah like in the beginning perceptions weren't really different but what definitely did change is that eventually in the winter of 2020 I needed to start working from home because traveling to the office was too difficult and you know it's kind of funny timing with COVID coming up just a few months later but in France at that time, I don't think there were very many work from home kind of adaptations put in place yet. So it was at that point that I felt this kind of um, gap between myself and my colleagues because people didn't really want to include me on projects because, well, I couldn't be there in person. And how could you work with somebody who's not there physically? Um, and so I think that was a little bit, that's when I maybe felt a little bit more judgment and when things became more difficult. But then there was, you know, this crazy pandemic that arrived that actually 
erase that a little bit. So, so it, I had kind of a funny, a funny experience in the workplace because there were times when I felt like I was being judged a little bit for having these differences and other times when people were forgetting about them, which I appreciated, but which maybe also sometimes made my day a tiny bit more stressful. It's uh, incredibly moving uh, what you're what you're sharing, and I think for well for myself and for all of our listeners, it's such a good reminder um, to be to be caring, to be kind, and to not judge because we never know what someone is going through, uh, whether whether it be a disease or a really bad day or someone's going through, you know, a divorce or you just, you just never know um, what's going on in someone's, for example, personal life. And we can't leave our personal life at the door when we arrive at work. And so I think it's a very powerful reminder and thank you for sharing with us about not judging others and and trying to be as caring as possible and at you know and if we need to if we're unsure maybe just checking in you know it's it's not someone it, it's not because um for example uh we don't have to be someone's manager or someone's hr to check in with a colleague or a friend um and see how they're doing so so thank you for sharing your own story and maybe a follow-up question is also, um, how do you think, for example, in the workplace, we can make discussions around disability, for example, less taboo? Yeah, I think that is a great point that it, that it is still rather taboo. And I know I wasn't super comfortable speaking about it in the beginning, but what do you think about how common disabilities are actually? I'm pretty sure the st- statistics say that it's about one in four people live with a disability, that's huge. And so it shouldn't be taboo at all because like it's, you know, I would imagine that would make it the largest minority group in that case, right? And so I think it's like you were just saying, like really important for people to just be open to differences and not be afraid to ask questions because yeah, like you don't know what other people are going through. And at the end of the day, everybody's there for the same ultimate goal. And, you know, if you're excluding or if people with disabilities do feel excluded from the workplace, then that's a lot of talent that's being missed out on. And so that's not good for any aspect of our society at the end of the day. You are absolutely right. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Uh, I have nothing to add because it could never have said it better. Thank you so much. Maybe just as a as a last question, um, what initiatives would you like to see companies put in place to support the needs of employees living with a disability? Hmm. Well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is just, you know, I think there already is a lot more being done today than there was being done, you know, even a decade ago, for sure. But I think training is so important because, you know, knowledge is power, right? I think that it shouldn't be just that somebody has a disability that they're told, you know, that there's special adaptations that can be put in place. There's special tools that can be used. I think that it could be really helpful if if that's something that's maybe part of a, you know, the intro, intro week or intro month for for any new employee at a company to go through and say, you know, this is how there might be people with disabilities and this is maybe 
some key things you should know. And as well, for anybody that has a disability today or who might acquire one in the future, because we never know what the future holds, um, there are things that we can put in place and then actually tell them what those are. Because for example, in my experience at one point, I found that it was really helpful to use dictation software with my computer. And when they told me about that, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that exists. But had I known it exists earlier, you know, maybe that would have been helpful. Maybe that would have been made, you know, a few weeks of my life a lot easier and potentially even more productive. And also by making it so that everybody knows that this exists, it could also avoid, you know, kind of awkward questions sometimes because, you know, personally, I'm a pretty open person. So I'm happy to explain, you know, anything that I'm using or differences, but some other people might not be as, you know, so if they're using dictation software, a colleague might say, you know, well, why are you over there in the corner screaming at your computer? But that could have been avoided, right? So, so I think just trying to, I was about to say even the playing field, but that's not the right word, but just really, you know, spread knowledge about the technology and the tools that exist are super helpful because there's so much today. And a lot of this stuff I don't think is very expensive. It's not coming at a big cost to companies. It's just going to actually, you know, potentially save them money or make them more productive in the long run because it's going to make their employees happier and more successful, I would think. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I know um, in a lot of countries, I know in France, it's the case. Um, there are also specific budgets typically that are um, that can be used to uh, put in place accommodations for um, anyone who has um, di a disability in the workplace. And so a way to, to go about that also is to talk to your HR, your manager, and it's also it's always difficult to bring up and it's confidential. But if you if for those listening, if you feel like you're in an environment that's caring uh, and supportive, I do also encourage you to to talk to your manager, your HR, or a colleague um, to see if you if you feel like you could benefit from uh, from some kind of accommodation. Uh, please please uh, don't hesitate to bring it up. And I think companies, like you said, uh, Leo, there's still so much that can be done, but we have made progress. And I think companies really are striving to be inclusive today. Uh, so so thank you for for all of those tips and. Overall, thank you so much for such an inspiring conversation. Um, I would also really like to draw our um, listeners' attention towards Leah's book, which was published just last month. So the book is in French, and it's called, I'll do my best with the French accent, it is called J'aimerais danser encore. Maybe, uh, Leah, do you want to pronounce it uh, for me? Oh, also, I mean, we're two fellow Americans, but... <laughs> Perfect. And how does that translate um, the, the title in English? What would it be, Leah? I would like to dance again. Wonderful. And where, where can people buy it? Um, so it's available at FNAC or on Amazon in your local bookshop. Um, they might have to order it for you, but, but it's also it's published by Archipel, that publishing house. So get yourself a copy. 
Thank you so much, Leah. You are such an inspiration. Thank you also to all of you listening. For those of you who would like to learn more about ALS and Leah's activism, please visit her website, heralsstory.org. H-E-R-A-L-S story.org. Thank you so much, Chelsea. This was the Payfit Podcast by Payfit, hosted by Chelsea Boren. Voiceover was done by Tamor Ismail. Recording and production were directed by Capsule Factory with Mathieu Monjotin and Camille Bichler. Original music was composed by Slow Jane.